the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I'm going to ask my co-host how he ended up becoming a pastor in the first place. And then we're joined by Dr. Robert Jeffress, pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas, to talk about his latest book, Are We Living in the End Times? You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Thursday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Steve Coble. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us. And hey, if you've missed any of our show today or this past week, let us encourage you to go get the podcast, wherever it is, get your podcast. Just subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com. And be sure to stay with us about another 15 minutes or so. Steve and I are going to get the spend some time with Dr. Robert Jeffress, uh, First Baptist Church of Dallas, also the host of Pathway to Victory here on AM 1160 to talk about his new book, Are We Living in the End Times? Lots of people asking that question, especially with what's going on in Israel uh, and other things going on in our world. So we're excited to talk to Robert Jeffress. So uh, Steve, people uh, have probably gotten to know you a little bit as you've sat in for Aubrey this week and in past shows. But for those who don't know, you're a pastor. You're teaching pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. What we uh, they have brilliantly marketed as a stone's throw away from uh, the United Center. That better be on. I'm going to look at your website later today. <laughs> that better be there, like like an image of a guy throw, like David throwing the yeah, stone, yeah, right? Yeah. Like uh, kind of down in that area of the city. Uh, but I don't necessarily want to talk about your church. We might do that at a later point. Uh, I want to earlier in the show, we I asked you, why do you like being a pastor and what's hard about being a pastor? But I want to hear your story. How did you become a pastor? Because I know that you haven't always been in the church. You haven't always been a Christian. Uh, So I thought it would be uh, encouraging for people uh, to hear whatever it is you want to share that got you to the point that you're now a pastor. Yeah, I, so I had no uh, ministers represented in my family, and my family we uh, grew up nominally Catholic. So I went to Catholic elementary mm-hmm. school, um, but that was kind of where I got introduced to concepts of Jesus dying on the cross and sin and uh, redemption on those kinds of things. And mm-hmm. uh, then I I grew up, uh, and my father passed away when I was real young, and that was a big part of kind of my childhood and my mother's mom. So my grandma came and moved in to help my mom get back on her feet. And my grandmother passed away, not soon after my dad passed away. So that was just like really, really hard Mm. on my mom and watching her kind of go through that kind of, I just wrestled with like why God would allow something like that to happen. Um, if there was a God and, Mm. um, and then, I was invited. I was wrestling with like big purpose life questions. I was invited by the same pastor who I pastor with now uh, as a, just a, a childhood friend of mine um, to an impact conference, which was 
really the African-American arm or is the African-American arm of the crew ministry. So if you're familiar with the college oh, okay. ministry crew. Yep. And so I went to that conference and there was a guy who was on staff at uh, with crew who kind of uh, kind of just mentored me through the, the weekend. And I came to faith in Christ at the end of the weekend. And um, and it was the first time that I felt like a really deep passion for any particular topic. Um, mm. I had a deep passion for. All right, I, I guess I got to learn the Bible now. You know what I mean? Mm. I got to learn how to pray, and um, I got to learn how to walk with God. And and I I figure if I know the Bible well, that I'll know what to do with my life. And and so my uh, the guy who was mentoring me at the time, he was on staff with with crew, um, did this local high school ministry in inner city in Indianapolis, and he was like. I, you know, I had played college baseball and I had shared my faith with my, my college teammates, et cetera. And, um, and kind of was like, what's next after junior college? You know, I blow, blown my arm out. I was planning to go to Indiana university and maybe become a school teacher. Oh, okay. And, um, and my mentor was like, what if you went to the local Bible college and then, um, finish undergrad at the local Bible college and volunteer with me, um, to do the, the high school ministry. And so I was like, and I didn't even know their Bible college existed. Um, and yet it was like, I remembered my, uh, grade school, uh, counselor saying, just find whatever you're passionate about and do mm. that. And, uh, so I was like, this is the first time anything that could be studied in school that I'm actually passionate about. Um, and so I decided to do that and very kind of early on, maybe I would, uh, teach some class or something that we needed or, uh, taught at the, the youth group that I was, uh, helping with. And people would say, man, you need to keep, keep trying that. You need to keep doing that. And, um, kind of in the process of that, I began to ask God what he wanted to do with my life and really felt impressed upon me that pastoral ministry was the one of the good works that he had prepared before the foundation of the world that I should walk mm. in that yeah. Ephesians two ten passage. And so I began to um, just think about what was next. And seminary was always a thing in, in Bible college that they said that if you really want to be a pastor, you need a, uh, the call to uh, preach and pastor is a call to prepare. So you need to go to seminary. And I was selling shoes at Nordstrom in Indianapolis. Really? Yeah. And I was traveling to Louisville to go to seminary and a friend of mine had wow. moved to Memphis, Tennessee and uh, was calling me, telling me all about this uh, pastoral residency program, like a pastor's apprenticeship program yeah. that they were doing in Memphis. And, um, and so I went and visited and it was just uh, exactly what I was looking for. Uh, it was kind of like life on life, um, finding out in, in community what, you're good at what you're gifted at. And so kind of in the process of, of moving there and doing that, there was like this, um, like in community, I, I sense that call as well. Like, this is, this is what God is, is wants me to do. This is what I'm gifted at. Uh, this is what I want to do. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, I just kind of pursued it ever, ever since then. What I love about your story is, as I've listened to it, uh, is the number of people along the way who cheered you on. Mm. Like, it was not like you got a, 
you know, you, you went from like, I'm not a part of a church. And all of a sudden I got this grand, you know, I was walking on the road to Damascus and Jesus <laughs> said it was it was people in your life affirming what they saw in you and also taking time and energy to say, hey, let me help you. Let me mentor you. Let me do this right all the way back in crew up to through seminary at a pastor apprenticeship, this and that. I think just about I have to say just about every pastor I know has that portion of a story where it's like somebody saw something in me and said, I want to invest in you. I, I think that should, that, that speaks volumes to the importance of community of life on life, discipleship of, of one, you know, of mentorship, all of it. Um, it feels like that's an essential part of your story and just about every story I've heard. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I think um, there's a lot that my, my mentor used to say, uh, pastor used to say, you're going to learn from me what to do. And then you're also going to learn some things about what not to do. And um, there's this thing called tacit knowledge that is mm. sort of like just being a fly on the wall, just being around is um, information and knowledge that you're gaining um, just by being in proximity to one another, doing yeah. the job of pastoral ministry. And so um, there will be times when my pastor would call me and say, hey, I, I'm teaching this class at this uh, college. I can't make it. I need you to go fill in for me. Or I'm, there's a funeral that is taking place. Um, so-and-so's wife died. I, I can't make it. I need you to go uh, go care for this family. And uh, just that, the routine of, of, of doing those things, the routine of continuing to study in school, but then having like the practical place of uh, being able to, to embody the things that you're learning while at the same time getting feedback from, from others. Um, it, it really was like this sort of iron sharpens iron. Yeah. Um, and there's certain things that you look at when it comes to leadership and you're like, I didn't have that naturally. That was sort of uh, impressed upon me through others. Um, and there's other things that you're like, man, I, I really have that. Na- that's a natural tendency of my personality, of how I'm wired. Um, and and the, the apprenticeship space kind of helped fine tune all, all of those different things. And, um, and, yeah, I think it put me ahead of where other people were just going to seminary and getting out of seminary and going into ministry. It just put me ahead of the curve because yeah. I had had that experience. Yeah. So I thought that would be helpful. Uh, I just like to hear stories. And so, um, but it is also an encouragement for people out there. Who are the people you can lean into and who are the people? um, I always like to think that you want to have somebody ahead of you on the journey who's pulling you along. And then you want people behind you that you're pulling along. Um, Like you said, iron sharpening iron. So, all right, man, thanks for sharing your story. Coming up next, Dr. Robert Jeffress, pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, is going to join us to talk about his new book, Are We Living in the End Times? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Steve Coble. My name is Brian Fromm. Great to have you with us on this Thursday afternoon. Hope you're staying warm. The weekend is almost upon us. Hope that you're doing well out there. Uh, Steve, one of the people who I think a lot of, I would say a lot of people probably in our circles 
um, looks to theologically, whether it be listening to, you know, listening to sermons or reading his books is Tim Keller. We lost Tim Keller this year. He passed away. Uh, I want to read a quote from Tim Keller that I saw on Twitter that I want to discuss. But first of all, why, uh, why do you think Tim Keller, uh, held such sway? Why do you think he's held in such esteem? Even after his passing, I don't know any pastors basically who, I know I know there's some, but basically Tim Keller is somebody we often tell people, go read him, go listen to him, go do this. Mm-hmm. I tell the story, I was at a conference once where he spoke and they introduced him and they, they affectionately called him Yoda. <laughs> so um, what what is it about, or what was it about Tim Keller uh, that that has that effect, do you think? That's a great question. I think, uh, man, there's so many different things, ways I could think about this, but I, I think that um, he he struck most people as a humble man, yeah. but also uh, a man who had read voraciously, um, who who wasn't trying to win an argument um, just in terms of ma- to to win an argument, but was trying to persuade, mm. um, and. And I think that I think that he understood and was able to communicate the gospel with such such clarity, um, even stuff that we've talked about this week, you know, and how my my understanding of those things has probably been illuminated yeah. uh, from uh, Tim Keller. That's right. Um, because That's of right. things that he wrote. I think that he wrote um, a lot and he was a good writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because, uh, because of that, I, I, you know, lots of people read the things that he wrote, um, and, and he had a way of communicating, whether it be on preaching, on, uh, prayer, um, on, uh, apologetics that, uh, was winsome. Yeah. And, I, and, and I think that that's what sticks with all of us. Uh, his writing, which is prolific, right? Everything from, you know, prodigal God to his stuff on idols um, to, uh, you know, his stuff on apologetics. It's all wonderful. Do you know, I think one of the most fascinating things about Tim Keller to me is he, he wrote all this stuff. Uh, he didn't write his first book till he was in his fifties. Yeah. Late uh, 50s, un- I think. It's unbelievable to me, yeah. A, because of how much he then wrote, but they, that speaks to the humility of, hey, I'm a pastor. I got to just do my job. But also, I don't feel like I have anything to say to write right now, you know. And yeah. and then once he started writing, it was prolific. So uh, later in his life, he actually was using Twitter uh, somewhat regularly to kind of state things. It sounds, you know, his son kind of posted on his behalf. Uh, and they'll still post things now. If you look at the at the site, it says Timothy Keller, and then in parentheses, nineteen fifty to two thousand twenty three, kind of acknowledging right that he is he has passed. But this is a very uh, simple statement, but super profound. So I want to know if you agree with this, and then I want to unpack it with you. Like, why is this an important statement? Tim Keller uh, at his Twitter account, his son took from his book or wherever else and wrote this. Most people want Jesus as a consultant rather than a king. Most people want Jesus as a consultant rather than a king. Help people understand that. Unpack that statement or maybe what Tim Keller was getting at with this kind of people want Jesus as a consultant rather than a king. 
Yeah, I think the idea is 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 kind of simply put, like I I don't want Jesus to make the decisions for my life, or I don't I don't want uh, Jesus to rule over uh, the decisions that I make in my life. And um, but we we still want him as someone who we can turn to when we're in uh, trouble. We still mm-hmm. want him as someone we can turn to when we need advice. Um, we want him as someone we can turn to when we need wisdom. And um, because we really want to be king of our lives. And uh, there's something that happens when uh, when we say, Jesus, you're Lord over every aspect and area of my life that I yeah. now have to surrender uh, over to you. And so I'd rather have you as uh, my my confidant that I call on when you're, when I'm in need, but not mm. the one that I, I, I build my life upon. Yeah. Yeah. To, to, de- to declare Jesus as King, as Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, presupposes that therefore um, his call will be what I do. His ways are, are what I, what I go for. Mm-hmm. It's not about me literally to call somebody Lord is to say he's in charge, not me Um, to call him a consultant is to say, you know what? I could use your advice on this one. Like I'm directing, I'm in charge here, but I could use your advice. So let's unpack this some more. How does this actually play out? Like, what is that? How does this look different? How does this play out? How would somebody know? Yeah. He's kind of pegging my life. I, I view Jesus more as consultant than King. What, what might be some signs of that? My mentor used to use this illustration. Um, he used to say a lot of us treat God like fine China. Uh, we only pull them out on special occasions. And so I think that there's there's an aspect to if Jesus is king over your life, he's not just the one that you go to when you're in dire straits or the one yeah. that you go to when you're in a crisis He's not the one that you, he is the one you go to in those moments, but you go to him for every other moment too. Um, you're going, you're going to him uh, for wisdom, for what career you should have and not to say, God, these are the things that I want. Um, I want you to do these things like he's a cosmic butler, but God, I want your will. Just like what Jesus says, uh, he prays and asks God for things and then says, not my will, mm-hmm. but yours be done. Um, I want you, I trust your will for my life um, in all of these different specific areas. And I'm not devastated by the things that I don't have. Yeah. Um, it, it, because I've built my life on you and, and the things that you created don't have me. You mm-hmm. have me. Yeah. It's uh, that's well put because, uh, you know, we're professional Christians and there's a lot of times I look at my life and I think of uh, my view of Jesus as not so much Lord, but consultant. That's why I, I resonated with this when I saw it like, gosh, God, why aren't you, <clears throat> you know, growing our church? Why aren't you whatever? Hey, I need your advice on this one, as opposed to like, hey, my life is one of surrender. My life is 
in his hands, whatever he chooses to do, that's a lot scarier and a lot, uh, a lot more difficult to, to live. But I, I wanted to read that because it was challenging to me and I'd encourage you out there, allow it to challenge you. Jesus is, is, he calls us under his lordship. He is our king. He is our Lord. He's not our consultant or our Santa Claus or whatever else it might be. And it's worth asking, how do I practically view that? How do I actually, uh, how does my life look as I follow Jesus? All right, coming up next, we're going to close the show. And I'm going to ask Steve a very specific question about uh, pastoring in the city of Chicago. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Uh, alongside my friend Steve Koble, my name is Brian Fromm. It's so good to be with you today. If you've missed any of our show, go get the podcast, wherever it is you get your podcast. Just subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at common good talk steve we've said multiple times but one of the beauties of radio is people get in the car and they turn us on for a very short amount of time so i don't want to assume that people have heard things before uh so as a reminder as we close out the show you are a pastor down in the city uh tell people where you pastor like where your church is and then also where in the city you live yeah we're at renewal church of chicago uh brian likes to say a stone's throw away from the United Center, and uh, we live in the Bronzeville neighborhood, um, so we're not far from White Sox Stadium, and mm. uh, I drive about six miles as opposed to Brian's 21 uh, <laughs> <laughs> to work every day. Um, That's true. Yeah, and, and you can find us on all the different social media, RenewalChurchChicago.com, uh, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. If I was at the United Center, which way would I throw the stone? South. South. Okay. Okay. Directly south, pretty much. I feel like when you were on in the summertime, correct me if I'm wrong, but you had said you had never been to a White Sox game before and were going. Was that? Am I forgetting that or was that true? And what was that experience like? That was true. And we did. Uh, we went and saw them play the Padres, uh, like one of the second to last games of the year. Yeah, we nice. talked about that because tickets right. are so cheap. That's right. <laughs> I like I like going to the whites. I've told you before. I think uh, my in college, my first date with my future wife was to a White Sox game, wow. fireworks night. So uh, I, a special place in my heart. But here's where I wanted to end our show. Um, let's put it this way: the city of Chicago gets a lot of bad press. Uh, I've never lived in Chicago. The, I've only lived – I lived in the suburbs of New York City growing up, and I now have only gone to college and lived in the suburbs of Chicago. I love to go into the city, uh, but I've never lived in the city. Uh, nationally, the city of Chicago gets a lot of bad press, and uh, you could argue whether it's justified or unjustified. That's not really what I want to do here. What I want to ask you is uh, two questions. I want to ask you what you love about Chicago. So you live in the city. You're you're pastoring in the city. Uh, I'm in the suburbs. What do you love about the city of Chicago? And then I want to end the show by asking, what are you praying for the city of Chicago as a pastor who ministers in the city? So uh, two deep, difficult questions, but hopefully I want to yeah. give you a chance as someone who does there go, 
hey, uh, don't believe the press. Here's what I love about it. And here's what we as a church or you as a pastor are praying for it. So start with why do you love the city? Yeah, I mean, there's so many different things about why I love the city. But I, I think, um, you know, one time I went to to Paris and I saw as I walked around the city of Paris, the all of the architecture was uh, was art. It er, everything about the way the city was designed was uh, was was art. And I um, I left Paris feeling really inspired by mm. just feeling really inspired um, just by having seen all that art. And um, I think that that's one of the things that's unique about cities and Chicago in particular, that when it comes to architecture, when it comes to um, uh, art in, in general, that there is something to be inspired by. And you've heard me say this before, but there's a lot of stuff uh, about the suburbs that's uh, that's made for usefulness, yeah. um, for utility and uh, and not necessarily for beauty's sake. And I think that there's something to be said that about the inspiration that comes from beauty. Um, I think that, um, you know, obviously there's, there's passion for sports teams. There's, there's, uh, you're kind of connected to a lot of different, uh, industries. So even when the people that I pastor are, uh, I get inspired by like, they've moved to Chicago to, to, uh, do this thing at this big firm or at, you know, they're a partner at this law firm or they're, um, they're a chef that's been uh, featured on food network or um, different things like that. I, I really, I really enjoy, you know, we talked about loving people. I really enjoy hearing why people got into those different things and coming from Indianapolis. I mean, I felt like, you know, I saw what you could do in terms of a job. You could hmm. be a school teacher. You could be a police officer. You could be a fireman. Um, you could be a stockbroker. That's it. And I feel like in Chicago, uh, there is uh, so many, so many industries and so many different facets of finance that's, that that people are participating in. That um, I feel like I'm getting exposure to what is out there, uh, what hmm. opportunities are out there for my children, what possibilities and, and connections and network and being in the city too. I think that cities feel very interconnected to cities. And so because of the, the diversity of the city, like the uh, Chinatown feels connected to China um, and, and their relationships and connections from people who have families in Chinatown that are in constant communication with their family in China. And so um, it feels like you're connected to other parts of the world. So you could go six miles north to Devon Avenue and have some of the best uh, Indian food in all of the country. Mm. Um, you can go to, uh, to Chinatown and have some of the best dim sum in all of the United States. Mm. Um, and that kind of exposure to all those different cultures simultaneously um, it's inspiring. It's, it's infectious, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, challenge wise, I mean, and, and this is love or love it or not. I think the thing about the suburbs is that, um, people often hide their issues or they're able to go, you know, drive into their garage, into their gated <laughs> fence and, 
you know, there's a, there's a, a privatizing of, uh, of sin in some ways, uh, sometimes in the city because of poverty, because of uh, proximity to other people, you just see it just out mm. in the open. Um, and so that's what I try to talk to my wife about this because we saw a domestic uh, violence situation outside of our house a few weeks ago and um, it made her really uncomfortable, made me uncomfortable. Um, and then I, I thought about it for a while and, and I, I thought to myself, as much as this is uh, a problem, I also think it's, it's, it's good for us to know that this is the reality of the world. Mm-hmm. This is like, we're not isolated from other people's issues and problems. Oh. We're not, we're not confined to our comforts. We, we literally see them and it's not just on the news. Yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 that's helpful. With the last minute we have for our day here, what are you praying for the city? Like if, yeah, just what are you praying for the city of Chicago? One of the things that's like really uh, on the top of mind for those who are pastoring in the city is just how to, how to help the migrant population. Um, there are certain people who feel incredibly disenfranchised or who have felt incredibly disenfranchised prior to uh, the migrants coming from Venezuela and Guatemala. Um, but now that is heightened. Um, so it's trying to figure out how do you pray for the mayor and support the mayor and the different aldermans around in the community to figure out how to help um help these people get established, help them um, figure out what's next for them, help them make sure that um, they're not in danger out on the street while at the same time trying to help people who are dif- uh, feel disenfranchised uh, already, who are already here. Mm-hmm. And so my, my prayer is centered around God help us um, as churches figure this out so that we can, uh, see people from Venezuela come to know Jesus and we can mm. see uh, people who are hurting come to know Jesus and we can see uh, churches planted and, and um, renewal and revival happen. Um, and, and you're praying for your, your politicians to help figure that out, yeah. you know, to help yeah. come while you're, you're trying to do your best to figure it out too. Uh, <clears throat> we'll close with that. Whether you live in the city or not, uh, I think those are great things to be praying for that we can all be uh, praying for. Well, Steve's going to be with us for one more day tomorrow. We're going to close out the week. We hope that you have a great Thursday night and that you choose to join us tomorrow from 4 until 6 p.m. For Steve Coble, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, 
whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.